When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Andrew Gordy and Patrick McKendry uh, join us this morning on the panel. Two very experienced panellists uh, who uh, run their eyes across uh, all forms of sport, and that's what we're going to try and cover in the next uh, 20 minutes uh, as we have a chat. Uh, Andrew, first of all, Commonwealth Games are top of the agenda for everybody at the moment. Relatively quiet uh, overnight with the pole vault bronze going to Imogen Harris and uh, the Fours Bowls picking up a bronze medal as well. Uh, but Joel King losing in the squash semi, which was pretty much a surprise for me. Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, Pat. Morning to all the listeners. Um, look, Com Games have been great so far, haven't they? And uh, it's obviously been fantastic to see our athletes doing so well, but I've also um, really, I suppose, some of the, I won't say highlights of the games, but some of the, the most interesting parts of the games, I suppose, have been, um, you know, seeing how athletes deal with, with that sort of disappointment as well. Um, we saw it from uh, Blackfern Sevens, obviously, who, who really came to these Commonwealth Games with one idea in mind, and that was to win a gold medal. And when they obviously, um, you know, fell short against Australia, we saw that emotion come out, and we've seen something similar um, from, from Joelle King this morning, uh, very emotional um, following her defeat, which obviously means she... She'll be playing for bronze this time around. Um, but, yeah, extremely, extremely surprising. I think both her and Paul Cole would have had the same idea coming to these games. They're, they're here for, to, to contest and win a gold medal. Um, and so when you fall short, it's, um, yeah, it's tough to take. But, um, look, she's a fantastic athlete, obviously, and she has nothing to prove, obviously, in terms of what she's already achieved for, for New Zealand in this, in this sport. So, um, yeah, tough, tough time for her, obviously. But, no, nah, take nothing away from what a tremendous athlete and a tremendous person she is. Uh, good morning to you, Patrick uh, McKendry and Pat. Uh, I just wonder, now we've had two or three days to uh, digest, uh, and Andrew reminded me of the fact that we only got two bronze in the sevens. Uh, how, do you view, how do you view that campaign? Uh, a lot of people are saying uh, fail. Yeah, g'day, Smithy, Andrew. Um, you, you, you have to consider it a failure. It sounds harsh, but uh, New Zealand rugby would have, the expectation would have been two goals. Uh, the expectation for the players and everyone involved directly with those teams would have been through goals as well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, the half-truth is probably... Uh, um, they were twin failures, really. Um, disappointing, obviously, but I guess that's, that's sevens. Um, a little bit unpredictable. Um, and, and that's just the way it goes. Obviously disappointing, with you know, given the, the Black Ferns are Olympic champions and... And indeed, what, what uh, the New Zealand team, uh, the men's team did uh, at the Olympics as well. Um, but that's just the way it goes sometimes. Has, uh, what has been the, for you the highlight? Has it, has it, has it been the, the poll? Mm. Has it, 
You know, has it been clear, Bert? Has has it also been um, the track cycling for you so far, yeah. Patrick? Are you surprised at the success and the way that they've turned around supposedly a sport which was in turmoil, what, two years ago? I do have a bit of a soft spot for cycling, um, and that has definitely been the highlight for me so far. Um, yeah, just, just across the board, really. And Bryony Boker... Um, you know that her strength in the in the team pursuit, uh, le- leading that team around. You know that only had three cyclists in it because Elise Andrews pulled out early in, in in those races. But just to see her strength to to do that at the front for so long, and and Elise Andrews herself, obviously three gold medals, just incredible. What a talent! And she's only what she twenty two or something. Um, obviously coming from an endurance background and that's clearly helped because she can sprint and then sprint again, which has really been a secret weapon at these games. Um, Andrew Gate, uh, you know, his success and uh, re- really all of the cyclists have, have competed so well and, it, and it's been really, it's been a joy to watch and, you know, um, it makes you wonder about what might happen in Paris uh, at, at the Olympics next time round. I think um, certainly expectations would have risen there. Do you think, uh, Andrew Gordy, that um, cycling will be sitting back uh, with a, um, a huge, well, I would say sigh of relief, but, you know, with the satisfaction of a job pretty well done at this point in the turnaround? Yeah, and I, I really wanted to touch on that this morning because obviously, and quite rightly, um, we are all celebrating the success of this, this cycling team. They've done a tremendous job uh, at these games and they deserve all the plaudits in that regard, but... There's been sort of a, a bit of discussion that that has obviously been um, prompted, I suppose, further discussion about and questions about is, is this a sign that things are turning around for cycling New Zealand? Let's make something really clear here: the performance side of things has never really been the issue for this track cycling team. All the all the the problems around the program recently have been around the welfare of the athletes. So I think it's really important that we don't mistake the success that we're seeing on the track in Birmingham and take that as a, as a steadfast guarantee that all those welfare issues have now been sorted out, tidied up, and everyone's happy. It has never been about the high-performing, medal-winning athletes. It has been about the athletes on the fringe of the program, the ones who have had their lifelong dream of going to Commonwealth Games, going to Olympic Games, winning medals, um, and those who are having their, their dreams sort of crushed, I suppose, or not quite being able to realise the, their dream that they had and how that then impacts them and how the sport, you know, sweeps in and makes sure that those athletes are OK. So, um, credit, like I say, credit to Cycling New Zealand. The athletes are performing at an excellent level, but, but let's not forget what this, the review, the recent scrutiny that that sport was under, what it was really about. It wasn't about the types of athletes like Elise Andrews and Aaron Gates. It was about the, the athletes that you don't quite hear so much about. So I, I certainly hope, like I say, that we don't mistake it for, for something else and that Cycling New Zealand continues that work and they continue um, you know, to be monitored, I suppose, of, of how they're looking after their athletes going forward. Uh, stay on the subject of uh, the mental side of, of being a, a high-profile sportsman and um, you know being a bit left out at times. Uh, Interesting to see during the week uh, on the cricketing theme, uh, Heath Davis, uh, Andrew, coming out as being the first openly gay black cat and the problems that he had going through um, sort of hiding this. Look, Smithy, um, 
first thing I can say about that is um, tremendous courage, obviously, from Heath Davis to come out um, and, and speak in such an open manner, um, not only about his sexuality and his experiences as a cricketer, um, battling with, I suppose, uh, what was, as you know, well know, Smithy, what was probably a very macho environment back in those days and his battles of, of fitting into a team environment at those points, but, but also just speaking as well about his other life experiences. I won't go and spoil it for, for people that uh, haven't watched it yet, but can I just say what a beautiful job the spin-off did of, of that piece in particular. Um, and hats off to everyone who was involved in that. I thought they handled it with great sensitivity and great care. Um, but look, going back to the original point, um, hats off to Heath Davis because we all know that it takes, it takes you know, trailblazers, I suppose, someone to, to come out and be open and honest about their own situation because that makes other people uh, feel confident uh, and comfortable in their own skin to, to then follow through and, and, you know, be honest about who they are in their team environment and whatnot. So um, he deserves massive praise for that. Um, interesting, though, I've, I've spoke to a couple of people uh, yesterday off the back of this, and, and it's amazing how many people were just like, I thought this was common knowledge, like everyone knew. And that's, that's the funny thing, though, isn't it? Like, within the cricketing environment, I think a lot of people did know about this. But it's a big difference between knowing about it and someone speaking speaking openly about it to the public. So a really important step, and he deserves massive, massive credit for that. Yeah, how do you view it, Patrick? I uh, agree with, with Andrew. I, I, I thought, it, again, it was a beautiful piece that the spin-off um, did in terms of the documentary. I think um, it was sensitively handled and, and really nicely uh, resourced. They obviously dug pretty deep and around... Um, uh, if people haven't seen it, there's a lot of stuff around Heath's um, youth when he was a kid playing and also just mucking around in, in Wellington, which um, it, it added a real poignancy to the piece I saw. It, it, I, I found it quite sad in many ways that Heath, um, he, he couldn't fully express himself um, as a young man in the New Zealand cricket team. Um, and, and sad too that he had so much talent um, which probably wasn't fully realised because I, I don't know whether he was a bit different in terms of his attitudes or, um, you know, obviously he was quite a raw talent with a lot of pace but, but maybe not a lot of direction um, in all senses of the word perhaps. Um, but, yeah, and, and to see him as a young, a young boy in, in, the, in the documentary with his whole life ahead of him and to see him now, it was quite sad. But, again, so impressed with his courage and his poise in, in the interviews, um, I thought he came across really, really well. Uh, and so uh, just a brilliant piece. And um, as Andrew said, applaud his bravery and courage for coming out and speaking like he did. I can tell you, Heath uh, Davis' story, when he was just a kid at Wellington College, uh, we were having net bowlers come down and bowl to us at the Basin Reserve. And um, he um, was bowling to John Wright uh, with a, a brand new ball. And uh, in the lead up to a test match, I can't remember who it was against, but uh, Heath was just uh, a schoolboy at that point. He bowled that quickly uh, to John Wright. John Wright kicked him out of the net. He said, "This is, this is not the preparation. This is not. I, I'm in this net to try and get some confidence, and this guy is giving me the heebie-jeebies." So he, he actually biffed him out of the net, and uh, someone else had to face him later on in the piece. But honestly, um, he was very, very fast. Uh, slightly unpredictable, which makes net bowlers even more frightening when you don't quite know where it's going from time to time and you feel so enclosed. But Heath Davis was very, very sharp 
when he let it go properly and when he was in his prime. So uh, I, w- I wish him um, all the best uh, for what's coming forward in life. And uh, yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to make a point to do just that. Right, uh, Patrick McKendry. Um, we've seen what the Springboks have come up with, and that is a lot of size, a lot of physicality. They've gone for a 6-2 split on the bench as well. Uh, how do the All Blacks reply with that? Uh, hopefully with a few ideas, uh, Smithy, and perhaps more than we've seen so far lately from the All Blacks, uh, who I thought were very disappointing uh, against Ireland at times. And, you know, I've spoken about it before, but, uh, you know... I, I got the feeling in Wellington watching that at the ground. Is this it? You know, is this it from the? Is this as good as they can get? You know, in a, in a deciding test match. So very disappointing. They need to obviously turn things around. They've, they've had changes in terms of their coaches. Um, whether it's going to be enough, I'm not sure. But, but they need a few ideas. They need to get their attitudes right. Um, I'm assuming that sort of they're based uh, in near a game game reserve near Kruger National Park. In fact, in South Africa, very much a, a resort where they're, they're kept to themselves. I'm assuming they'll adopt a sort of a siege mentality, come out firing. But uh, there won't be enough against the South African team, who, who are pretty intelligent football players. Um, so, as I say, they need some ideas. They need to show show us something different. Well, Ian Foster's got to come up with those ideas. I, I think it's uh, fair to say Jason Ryan within the pack, of course, um, very early days for him, Andrew. But on the back of uh, w- w- the comments from uh, Mark Robinson that uh, Ian Foster is definitely the right guy to take us to South Africa, what are you thinking? Well, that comment said it all, didn't it? There are there are no guarantees, quite clearly. Over He had an opportunity, didn't he, to, to offer some guarantees over Ian Foster's future, and he simply wasn't prepared to give them. So... Um, the writing is on the wall in that regard. It's effectively turn up or that might be it. Um, it's interesting, Pat, that you used the, use the term siege mentality. Um, I think it's quite clear the All Blacks, and in particular Ian Foster, have already adopted a siege mentality. We're, in, in the media, we're seeing it already. There's a, there's a real shut it down, us against them sort of mentality over this. And, and, I, and I did want to talk about this this morning. I, I noticed there's been quite a lot of... Um, comments recently about the personal nature of some of the criticism levelled at, at Ian Foster in recent times and I, I really take exception to that um, because from where I'm sitting I, I think Ian Foster's a, a, a top guy, a really top guy he's a, he's a nice guy um, and, and I'm, I'm not really here to tell you and, I, and I'm, because I, I don't know at the end of the day um, what he is like as a coach, because I, I've, I've not been a player under Ian Foster. I've, I've not coached alongside him, so I can't tell you that. And I, I dare say none of us can probably do that either. But the point of all of this is it doesn't matter if it was Ian Foster or Steve Hansen or Graham Henry or whoever you like. Any All Blacks coach who has the record that he has would be under scrutiny. And that is the, the plain fact of the matter. So... The idea that this has somehow have turned into like a personal attack on and on Ian Foster and everyone is out to get Ian Foster. No, it's simply that the fans and I think the media expect better of the All Blacks coach. These are not res- results um, that are acceptable for any All Blacks team and any All Blacks coach. So I think it's really disappointing um, that people would, would take it in a way that, no, this is actually a personal thing against Ian Foster. I know that there's the Scott Robertson... Um, aspect that is on the fringes here, but I don't think anyone in the media 
would, would want to see the All Blacks fail. They want to see them succeed. And when they aren't performing up to expectations, that's when the pressure comes on and the critique levels go up. And it's just, it's just part of the job, I, I think, for Ian Foster or any All Blacks coach. So, uh, Patrick, I, I just wonder, what, what would you do with your loose forwards this weekend? I mean, admittedly, obviously he's not going to leave Sam Kane out. Sam Kane will lead the side out at number seven. What, what are you thinking about that and, and your, your Scott Barrett strategy at six, etc.? Yeah. Good question. Um, uh, just before I get into that quickly, I agree with Andrew wholeheartedly about this personal attack business. I, I thought about it this morning. There, there was actually a report in the Herald which mentioned personal attacks, and I just thought, uh, I, I, I can't recall any any personal attacks at all. Um, I think it's all been uh, results-based, the criticism. Uh, but it's strange that it's sort of leaking into the, the, the media and making those assumptions too now. But on the loose forwards, um, look, I, I think Scott Barrett probably has to start at six. I think Artie Savia has to start at eight. Obviously, Kane will be at seven, um, which leaves, you know, obviously with Brodie Retallick injured, not on tour, who do you play a lock? I think they'll probably have to go to uh, Patrick Tuipaluto, wouldn't they? Um, I think they need some um, big bodies in that pack, some, some uh, men who can handle the, the impact that these spots are going to uh, throw out and, and, and give some back themselves. So I think they need size and strength. So uh, I'm assuming that's sort of the way Foster will go. Right, uh, Andrew, just looking at uh, the Warriors, uh, I see they've uh, re-signed Andrew McFadden. Uh, not this time in a head coaching role, but to, to replace uh, Craig Hodges. And his brief will be to uh, recruit talent, basically, and hold on to talent, more importantly. Uh, on the back of the news also that Tamari Martin has signed a three-year deal, and that has been confirmed. So here we've got McFadden working with Webster in a reverse-type role. Yeah, it's back to the future, isn't it, Smithy? Um, I must admit I was gobsmacked, really, when, uh, when this release came through yesterday, confirming that Andrew McFadden is coming back to the club. Should add to that, though, that my, my recollection and of my personal dealings with Andrew McFadden, excellent, excellent man. Excellent man and, and an excellent operator. Didn't work out for him as a head coach. Um, so that's what makes me a little bit intrigued, I suppose, about how he's coming back in a different role that may well suit his skill set um, down, down, to, down to a T. Um, but, yeah, it is... When you're trying to be a progressive club and trying to move forward... I just wonder about the signal it sends to everyone involved in the club and, and even the fans when, like I say, it's back to the future. We, we had a coaching staff not that long ago that was Andrew McFadden as the head coach, Andrew Webster and Justin Morgan as the assistant. Now we have Andrew Webster, the head coach, Justin Morgan as an assistant and Andrew McFadden coming in um, as head of recruitment. It's, look, it's up to those guys to, to put it out on the park, isn't it? Um, and I think the, the addition of Tamari Martin is a good one. I'm really intrigued to know some of the details around this move. Um, obviously, we know that Reese Walsh went to the Broncos um, uh, earlier to see, or that deal was confirmed, and there was always sort of a sense that perhaps the Warriors might get something back in return at some point. I'm really intrigued to know from Cameron George whether this is an indication of that, um, because Tamari Martin was obviously off contract, so I'm not really sure how this can be sort of seen as part of the deal, whether they got perhaps first dibs on him or something like that. I'm not sure. Um, but look, they need someone like Tamari Martin because... The options that are available um, uh, among other teams in the competition in terms of bolstering your halves um, are very, very light. And look, at least with Tamari Martin, you've got a, a, a Kiwi 
um, who wants to come home, wants to play for the club. And honestly, I think that is, these days, half the battle. In fact, possibly even more than half the battle for the Warriors when it comes to signing players. They need players who want to be there um, and have some sort of emotional and uh, connection and some pride in representing the club. I think Tamari Martin will bring that. Um, and I'm really intrigued to see what sort of impact he can have on the halves next year. There's obviously going to be, well, Sean Johnson is contracted, even though there is some speculation and um, rumour about his, his future as well. Um, and then you've got the likes of Volkman and Metcalf as well. It's going to be really interesting to see um, what combination Andrew Webster settles on when it comes to uh, the, first, the first game of the new season. It's interesting to me, uh, Patrick, when you take on a brief like this these days, it's quite clear when we've seen what happened to the Warriors. Uh, coming to the Warriors now as an Australian-based player initially, uh, living the life that you have, and now coming back to the Warriors on the basis you're going to to and fro a lot more and base yourself in New Zealand, uh, it seems as if it has become a, an entirely um, different prospect, uh, just the looking at the, the toing and froing, uh, Patrick. Well, can, I, can I just say firstly that um, I'm, I'm pleased Andrew gave a very comprehensive answer there because I, I've sort of switched off a little bit from the, from the uh, Warriors. Uh, um, but look, firstly in terms of look, they, they need quality, um, they need a quality recruiter, obviously, because if, if, if one thing is lacking in that team, it's it's quality talent and players and they, so they need people in there and they need to retain them. So if the new man on his return is going to do that, then brilliant. Um, that, that's a big plus. Um, as for Tamari Martin, I'm not, I'm not too sure about him. I haven't, I haven't uh, got to be honest, I haven't watched a lot of league uh, this year, but um, something needs to change obviously at the Warriors. Um, they're probably not finished changing yet. Uh, so I hope you know the, the, these tweaks, if you like, uh, do make a difference because uh, obviously they fulfil a very important role in terms of role models uh, in this country. Um, and you know, given everything they've gone through over the last few years, that really they've propped up the NRL as well. Patrick McKendry, Andrew Gordy, I've uh, taken too much of your time already this morning. I know you're busy men, so thank you very much for being uh, part of the panel, an extended one this morning, uh, and look forward to talking to both you guys uh, in the future uh, in more editions of the panel. Uh, have a great uh, remainder of your day. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.